Please be seated. So good morning, VTS. <laughs> Welcome back from fall break. Welcome back, fall break. Welcome back to those who traveled a bit and those who stayed. Uh, here we are at the beginning of the second quarter. One quarter of the year is already over. Just, wow. So before we begin some reflection today on James of Jerusalem, whose life and death we mark today as a major feast day of the Episcopal Church, let's pause for a moment of silence. Just last night, there was shooting violence here in Alexandria, leaving two dead and one seriously injured. Just a bit down the hill from us, just off of Duke Street, near the Beatley Public Library, not far from the Harris Teeter. Let's pray for the souls of those who have died, the one who is injured, the perpetrator of this violence, and those living near that park and for this city. Thank you. We will take all these up again in prayer. May God bring strength and healing and redemption. And may we stand ready to be God's instruments, if so called. Now, I wanted to begin our second quarter with a joke, because that seems a pattern, or at least a lighter hand. But this news last night, this news strikes close. As we start our second quarter here on campus, life and death continue all around us. May we remain faithful, attentive, a people of prayer and readiness to respond with hearts devoted to care and justice. I pray we open ourselves to discern how we shall respond. Over a year ago, in early summer of 2016, two young men lost their lives here in Alexandria, just up from Old Town, not from police violence, but from vengeful and planned violence of peers against one another. My wife, along with clergy and neighbors and family in that area, gathered Sundays for prayer for many weeks and have continued on that site over the past year praying for healing and justice. This summer, following the violence in Charlottesville and the shootings at a congressional baseball practice here in Alexandria, clergy have gathered to respond. And several, several of us are working together across denominations on drafting a response calling for a turning of hearts, beginning with our own. So, with all this in mind, and on our hearts. Let's turn our attention to James of Jerusalem. Today we celebrate a prominent figure in the first years of Christian faith about whom we know surprisingly little. This is not James of the infamous Peter, James, and John boy band. The, James in Hebrew is Yaakov, Jacob, so obviously it is a common name in Jewish communities of the time. And in the New Testament, there are at least, if not, at least three, if not four, and perhaps as many as eight named men as James. So let's get clear which James we're talking about. There's James, 
brother of John, sons of Zebedee. There's James, son of Alphaeus. And there's James, the brother of Jesus. And possibly there is a James, son of Mary, daughter of Clopas. Now, there's a distinct disagreement among Christians worldwide about this James we celebrate and remember today. While there's an agreement in the obvious that there was a James of Jerusalem referred to as the brother of Jesus, and that this James is different than James of the John and James dynamic duo, disagreement emerges from there between Orthodox Catholic and Protestant interpretations of the evidence. It comes down to this. What does brother mean exactly? And does and can Jesus have a brother? For Protestants, the reference to family, like in today's gospel account in Matthew, have been taken to mean that James was one of Jesus's younger half-brothers among the sons and daughters of Joseph and Mary after Jesus's birth. For Eastern Orthodox, James is regarded as an older stepbrother of Jesus, among many, from a prior marriage of Joseph, who was regarded as a widower, in tradition, prior to his engagement to Mary. And thus, Mary had no child except Jesus and remained purely the Theotokos, the God-bearer, but Jesus grew up in a household with older siblings, step-siblings. For Roman Catholics, the word brother is interpreted as a word of general familial reference extending to first and second cousins. Thus, James is regarded as a relative in the scope of the extended families of Joseph and Mary, more likely Joseph, but there are some traditions that say that Mary had a sister also named Mary, married to Alphaeus. And so this same James of Jerusalem is equated in the Catholic tradition with James, son of Alphaeus. Okay, are you creating your genogram? How's it going? All of this concern, Sturm und Drang, derives from this gospel passage and a few other threads in the gospels read in comparison and conversation with the Acts of the Apostles. And then we have the added concern that arises when we consider that Jesus' own household members came to retrieve him, thinking he was crazy or afflicted. And this same Jesus was likely, the same James was likely among them. It was to this same James that Jesus appeared separately, according to Paul, as we heard today, after the resurrection. And then there's the question of whether or not this James had anything to do with the writing of the epistle of James. Thus, the absence of any reading from James today. Even though the spirit of the letter is in keeping with the bits that we know of this James of Jerusalem. It's a shame because I really wanted to sing for you today from My Fair Lady, Eliza Doolittle singing that great song, Show Me, that's Jamesian to the core. Maybe another time. So we have this James before us today, related and regarded in some way as brother of our Lord, and so held in honor of the fledg by the fledgling church, along with other family members of Jesus. James arises as a prominent figure in the church in Jerusalem, that church center visit that is at first truly on center stage, 
but then begins to recede more and more from the evolving story as Christian faith spreads and flourishes in other cities across and beyond the empire and as Jerusalem then after the accounts in Acts is later leveled by the empire only eight years after James's martyrdom. Ancient authors like Josephus and Eusebius and Hegesippus all make reference to James as a preeminent leader of the church in Jerusalem. And some have regarded him as the first bishop of the church. He is known among Jerusalem leaders for his dedication to an observance of the law at the time, a deeply devout and faithful Jew with knees that, to quote, had grown hard as camels from kneeling in intercessory prayer in the temple. His martyrdom in the year 62 reportedly came at the hands of some Jewish leaders who tried to get him to back off from claiming Jesus as the Messiah. And since he instead made a bold confession of faith, some men dragged James to a temple parapet and threw him down into the Kidron Ravine. As this did not quite kill him, he was stoned and then clubbed to death. Thus, his martyrdom. Josephus notes that the high priest, Ananus, who allowed for this to happen, was removed from his office by King Agrippa because of the great disruption James's death created in the city. Is this James who makes the ruling on behalf of the apostles and elders and the congregation of those first followers of Jesus in Jerusalem? After hearing Peter testify about his visit to the house of Cornelius, hearing the concerns of Jewish and Gentile Christians from Antioch, and listening to the stories from Paul and Barnabas of God's amazing work among the Gentiles. After a pause, James offers a perspective and a solution. And this solution has become known as the Apostles' Decree. Not so much a law as a set of principles for how Gentile Christians are to behave and gather with Jewish Christians in other cities and lands. This decree captures the essence of what's contained in Leviticus 17 through 18 that outlines prohibitions for Gentiles desiring to live among Jews in Jewish lands. It has to do with key principles of purity and defilement that were at the very heart of faithful Jewish identity and life. Now, James's solution is not exactly a compromise. It's not exactly a kind of resolution, at least not what we have come to see as an intentional resolution effort of coming together in order to unite and mend rifts. It's not the aim of complete unification by any means. It's not a meeting and melding of peoples. Distance is actually maintained as polite but distinct. James begins by saying, let us not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. An acquiescence and a willingness to give space, but not exactly what we might call an eager approach. Here in James's solution is simply a conciliatory solution that allows differing peoples with profoundly different cultural and religious identities to come together around truly a common table of food with signaled respect for each other. The solution is clearly anchored in James's own deep Jewish roots. But 
with what he and others clearly regarded also as wide latitude, especially when it came to the matter of circumcision. This solution is cemented and made tangible then through an extension of bonds. It's not just that they write and send a letter off, but they send two of their own, Judas Barsabbas and Silas, along with Paul and Barnabas, to continue the good work among the Gentiles. Now, this did not mean that tensions completely disappeared, as we find when Paul later returns at the end of Acts to Jerusalem to meet with James and other elders, only to be confronted regarding what Jewish Christians were perceiving as laxness among Gentile Christians, and Paul being pressed by the elders to present himself in the temple as an accommodation and acquiescence. So, what are we to make of all this? First, the early church is not the promised land. Just as we are on a journey, they were on a journey. It does not do us well to overexalt the early church as the pinnacle of the Christian story. The church, from its inception, is very human, right from the beginning. And that's good. Second, Jesus' family is not without its complexities and challenges, and that has ripple effects. Jesus entered fully into the soup that is humanity, the human family as a whole, but also that nitty-grittiness of the particular family and all of its fun family dynamics. James, it seems, came to a different sense about Jesus, his brother, stepbrother, half-brother, after the resurrection than he had beforehand. I'm thankful that our Lord and Savior knew and lived and embraced these complexities as we are invited to as well. Third, James and the early church in Jerusalem may present an image for us today at a time when we see Christian faith waning in this nation and in other lands. Some of you may have seen the news in Christianity today of 37,000 less Episcopalians this year than last year. What are we to make of continuing receding of the church in America, not just our denomination, but others? What is it like for us to give away our sense of privileged identity? What might we be called to give up that is near and dear to our sense of who we are as Christians in America and the Western world? What does it mean to recede even while others grow and flourish? And how shall we continue to live faithfully and clearly for as long as our lamps will burn? How shall we burn brightly as a living testament to the fullness of the gospel for as long as we have to burn? With these questions in mind, I want to close with some verses from the epistle that was not read today, credited to James, that carry indeed a good amount of the spirit of James for us to meditate on. Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Be doers of the word, and not merely hearers 
who deceive themselves. If a brother or sister is naked and lacks food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? Let us care for the poor and needy. Let us carry forward speaking truth. Let us give ourselves to one another and to the world, and let us consistently seek to step beyond words to actions that show forth the light of the living Christ, whose fire burns within us and among us, as long as we have breath. Amen.